Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of The Athletic. On this episode, we are previewing all of the Daytona Speed Weeks. We are back on track, baby. And man, do we have a cool episode for you. We are coming to you from Joe Gibbs Racing and Denny Hamlin and his crew chief, Chris Gabehart, will join us to take us through the entire Speed Weeks in Daytona as they look to defend their Daytona 500 title. I cannot wait to bring this to the people, David. But first, as always, this is episode 47. This is the Marcos Ambrose edition of Positive Regression. David, Marcus Ambrose, a memorable, affable character in the garage, late part of the uh, 2000s, uh, early teens, if you will. What stands out about Marcus Ambrose? Marcos Ambrose was an analytics darling at one racetrack. He, uh, Marcos Ambrose and Watkins Glen was the best driver track combination in terms of production of any driver and track from the early 2000s on. And that is just, that is how good he was there. He was a former road course racer himself, an Australian V8 supercar driver. And man, did he uh, overachieve given his equipment on the road courses, but also stood out at the short tracks in Martinsville for me comes to mind. He had top 10, top 15 finishes there, sort of giving birth to the idea that these road course guys, and he kind of came from an era where there was a a few of them, but could go to a place like Martinsville with tight corners and make it work. A lot of what they did well translated to the small half mile track in, uh, in Virginia, which was, uh, which is something to watch. I mean, he, he was, he was a joy. We didn't see him Early in his career, he came in his, in his early 30s to the Cup Series. We didn't see his age 39 season, so we didn't see his <laughs> peak. But while he was here, really enjoyed watching him. And and I got to tell you, one of the things that really sticks out, one of the best finishes in NASCAR history uh, at Watkins Glen, him versus Kyle Busch versus Brad Keselowski, uh, the last lap, I, I think there was oil on the track, but a lot of slipping and sliding and Ambrose pulled out the victory over Brad Keselowski. Uh, I remember because the next day was my birthday, huh? <laughs> but, um, you're right. Affable fellow, but, uh, talent for days and he isn't going to be a hall of famer. You know, he isn't going to be one of those drivers that we're going to be talking about years from now, but he did manage to make a dent. It was a small one and it's one that I'm appreciative of seeing. Yeah, two wins in his career, 46 top 10s, and some of those, uh, certainly a memorable ride in the number 47 car for Dad, Tad Geschechter. Uh, a memorable name, a memorable face, and a memorable run for Marcus Ambrose in the NASCAR Cup Series. All right, let's get it started. We are getting ready for Speed Weeks, and who better to talk to than defending Daytona 500 champions Denny Hamlin and crew chief Chris Gabart? Welcome to Positive Regression, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, appreciate listener. Yeah, that that's really uh, <laughs> that, that's really cool of you to say because you know we hear from uh, we hear from our listeners and the kind of content they want and to know it's getting out there in the garage. That's that's pretty cool to hear. So. David knows I'm a listener. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a sucker for analytics. So <laughs> I am. You're, you're, you're fact checking me every step of the way, which is appreciated. Um, you know, Alan, if I may, uh, the the main reason I want to approach. Uh, today's episode, the way that we're going to do it. We're going to look at the Speed Week schedule chronologically. I have an appreciation for these events with big 
week-long buildups. All the events, the Daytona 500 uh, has, its, um, has its importance, the Indianapolis 500, the Rolex 24, and not to make the main event sound bad, but I find the buildup is often more fascinating than the race itself. And I think our guests have had a few of these eureka moments where they discovered something. They, they figured out the winning formula. And I want our listeners to share that appreciation. So we're going to we're gonna run down right through the Speed Week schedule with these two guys. Yeah, this will serve as the preview guide for the next two weeks. So we'll just start right from the start. You get there on Saturday. There's one clash practice, two cup practices. Uh, Danny, how do you view the clash, first of all? I mean, as its own race, can, is it preparation for the 500? Is it a learning opportunity? How do you view the Bush clash? Uh, for me, it's just getting reps. I mean, you know, we have not turned a lap uh, since the final lap of Homestead. So uh, it's a lot different than, you know, you know, in this part of my career than at the beginning where we would do a lot of off-season testing and whatnot. Um, not, nothing. Not, I mean, really, it starts with the first practice. Like you're, okay, sitting back in a race car again. Okay, this this all feels normal and checking everything. So it uh, it definitely, you know, it's an exciting time for us to get back in a car, rolling out on pit road for the first time. The first practice, clash practice, is is one of the more exciting times we have as a driver, for sure. Um, now, look, I, this is, is a 36-race season, right? And the Daytona 500 is a big event. The playoffs uh, is a period where it seems like the focus is ratcheted up. This is an exhibition race to both of you and, and Chris, especially is an exhibition race worth your time. Uh, I think now more than ever where the clash is concerned. And the biggest reason is we have very, he talks about reps. We have very low reps on this rules package at Daytona. We only have one race at Daytona with this rules package. And while it's something that they, that the audience might not pick up on from a setup perspective, it's a lot different than the years and years of the prior rules package at Daytona. So years past when you unload at Daytona for the clash uh, with the old rules package, you pretty much knew what your setup was going to be. You just had so many laps on it. You knew where you needed to be. Well, right now, Daytona's certainly more of a handling track than Talladega, and we've only had one set of races there. So the clash is going to provide a good opportunity to, to continue to learn with this rules package and figure out what your car needs. Is that how you utilize the race? Is this uh, just a fact-finding mission for you? Or are there things that you want to experiment, try out, where you legitimately do not know the outcome before you try it? Well, I mean, we're building a database from lap one. So, and, and lap one with this rules package, again, started uh, last summer at Daytona. But the database is still very small. And when you look ahead to the duels, that's a night race. And Daytona behaves much differently at night than it does during the day. Clash is a day race. So, you know, we look for our car actually to handling cues. It wouldn't surprise me when the week's all said and done, you actually pick up more from the clash than you are from the duels in some ways. Um, but either way, you're going to be learning from them quite a bit. When we talk about practice, I mean, what, what are you trying to achieve in those practices? You talk about getting the database. Is that different from any other race or adding information? I would say right now it's no different than any other race uh, with the prior rules package. Again, it got to the point where you just kind of knew where you needed to be. But right now, I think all the teams are still learning quite a bit. So you certainly got to use them up. But again, to your guys' point earlier, it's a long week and we only have so many cars and so many resources. So you got to be careful about how you use them up. You know, the way Denny gets good quality reps and we get a good understanding of how our car handles is in tight 
pack practicing situations, those are also high risk. And we only got so many bullets in the chamber, so you got to be careful. You know, if, if practice is practice, how do you feel about practice times being monitored, uh, analyzed, used for betting, fantasy, and, and shaping the narrative of the incoming race? Because a practice to you might not be the same practice for Kevin Harvick or Brad Keselowski. How do you feel about that? I think it'd be hard to really find enough quality data in it just because we're out there messing around. I mean, we'll get to we'll either be in a position where we don't like it, things are starting, and we'll back off, we'll go to the front, we'll just wave everybody by, go to the back again. Um, I think the only thing maybe you, you can see is like passing. Uh, but as far as speed is concerned, it is so relative. And we draft differently during practices than what we do in the race. You know, in the race to make really some some headway, you've got to make some moves that are questionable um, whether you're going to get out of them or not. Mm-hmm. And in, in practice, you try not to try not to do it. So explain the practice style of drafting. If if you know that's not going to be kind of what you're doing in the yeah. race, what application do you take from it? So what I do is, you know, personally is, is you know, without divulging too much, obviously, is that with every package change and the spoiler heights going up and down, the car shapes changing, you know, year after year, that drafting is not just drafting. Like the cars react differently around each other. So I'm always trying to just move around, get a feel for the buffering uh, when I'm around other cars to see, you know, where's the, where's the slipstream that I need to be in. And not only that, but, you know, paying attention to how well I can get to someone's bumper, how well they can get to my bumper and I'll relay that information to him. All right. Uh, and then, all right. So after Sunday, it's a few days until the duel. Is there any relaxing? I mean, do you go back to North Carolina? I mean, is there relaxing between Sunday night and what Thursday, Thursday night? That depends on who you ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm staying, I'm going to go on a couple day golf trip. Uh, I gotta, so yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to, you didn't get to go off in the off season. I did. I am like, I am itching. <laughs> I, I got to play, you know, the four rounds, obviously in the competition, uh, the tournament I played in Orlando, that was the first rounds in months. So I feel better enough to do that. And, uh, I got a special invite to go play at, uh, Michael's, uh, new, new Grove 23, uh, golf course in Jupiter. So we're going to go down there for a few days. Nice. Yeah. For, for me, I would just say it's uh, you come back and start focusing on the rest of the season. So we will come back. Um, we will work on some cars heading out to the West coast. You know, you don't a little nuance with race teams. Again, you used to have that Atlanta race right after Daytona. Well, Atlanta's four hours from the house. So you, you get a full week's worth of prep before you got to send the haulers down the road. Well, now they got to go to Vegas. In Vegas, they got you got to load Tuesday night, uh, Tuesday end of day. So you've got to start looking ahead a little bit sooner than you normally would, just from a logistics point of view. And that's what we'll be doing. Is this uh, well? Was that common in years past, where a crew chief would come back to the Carolina area, uh, area, focus on the cars for the next few races, or is this new just because of this year's scheduling wrinkle? I think everybody does it a little bit different, but I would say over the last several years in general, most have been coming back. You know, with the schedule changing the way it has at Daytona, you're not on track every day of the week and you've got time to come back and, and sort of split your focus a little bit. Um, so Thursday night, seven o'clock, dual night. Denny, 
I have no doubt <laughs> that your goal is to win mm -hmm. the race, but to what measure are you going to accomplish this? Uh, how much risk is a victory worth? Not much. Just like I say, I mean, if you're not on the front row at the best, you're going to start third or fourth. Right. So it just, I mean, the Daytona 500 is, is so long and there's so much attrition in it that, um, you, you really can win from anywhere. Um, now if you're starting 36, cause that's what kind of car speed you had, then you're probably in trouble. But I think that, you know, there's no doubt in my mind, I know that I'm going to have equipment good enough to win. So I'm not, I won't take, a chance that that is going to put my car in a in a bad spot depending on you know what he tells me the difference in this car and this car is so if there's a significant difference i got to be a little smarter with it for yeah sure. how do you wrap your head around that it, i mean have you learned from the clash and the practices what is that when the game plan gets started it's certainly cumulative so mm -hmm. you know the clash will be our first uh real real take at what kind of weekend or what kind of week we're going to have and how much work we have to do uh, on Thursday, but to his point, um, and, and we didn't, we're not the best example of this last year, but when you, when you start wrecking stuff and having issues, it sets your whole week behind. Um, and you really got to play hard to catch up from that. So, you know, having a bad Thursday where you're forced to get out a new car on Friday or Saturday with only two 50 minute practice sessions remaining um, can set you back another way. So you definitely got to, you got to weigh risk versus reward quite a bit. And again, with it being a night race, Typically, you'll find you don't learn as much as a night race as you would as a day race anyway. So, so, so Danny, I've got to ask. You've won the duel three times, and two of your wins, you led the final two laps. So you made a late pass. <laughs> where, where did you say, okay, I'm comfortable making some kind of risk to put myself in position to win? What's the threshold to you? Yeah, I mean... Each, each instance is different, but, you know, I, I never want to try to – I never at the Super Speedways try to show the move that I have planned until the very end. And so, I mean, my plan doesn't always work out. I've lost many more <laughs> than I've won. But uh, I, I usually have an idea through, through the practices or through a portion of the race, okay, this is how I'm going to get a run on this person, but I'm not going to do it until it's it's – too late for them to to you know adjust to. When you talk about risk versus reward, I, I should know this, and I apologize that I don't. You can't test the backup car, can you? Unless you go to the backup car. No, yeah, yeah. Its first its first laps will be kind of in competition. Right. You're not just you're not just out there shaking it down. Yeah, so a crash Thursday would have to be the worst case scenario. <laughs> you would. Uh, it can be bad. Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, the worst case scenario is what we went through last year, and it's for company logistics reasons. But the worst case scenario is actually a, a crash and clash practice because it forces you to use one of your bullets for the clash race where you're where you're possibly more than likely it's not going to come out very clean so that car is probably going to have to come back to north carolina and get fixed up best case scenario worst case scenario it gets trashed as well so then you're leaving sunday the first sunday of speed weeks with two cars that are tore up and and that's actually the worst case scenario uh, while crashing Thursday night's not good um, in terms of, again, how many bullets do I have left to fire? If you, if you kill one of them in clash practice, it can really set up for a bad week if you're not careful. Chris, if, if your main, if your primary car for the Daytona 500 is getting a 10 out of 10 
on the Chris Gabehart focus scale, what are the backups getting? Um, that 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 speaks to the depth of your team uh, and the and the ability uh, to maximize your resources. And fortunately, I can speak from unfortunately, I can speak from experience uh, for our team. Uh, we got a backup several times last year, and we competed for wins in each of those situations. So. That's really a hats off to, to Eric Phillips and all my guys and all the resources they use at JGR. Well, our backups are just as prepared as our as our primary cars in, in most situations. I, I can't remember another year where I've had so many backup cars. Uh, uh, yeah, I would think it's not reasons. normal for you. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, typically, I mean, all tracks practice. I, I can't believe how many instances I had uh, – it, the first part of the year was bad. I mean, it was just like, gosh, again. Well, it was the middle part of the year as well. You remember Indy, we blew the right front tire the yeah. last lap of the last corner. And I think yeah. Loudon was a week or two before that. Someone dropped rear and grease at Loudon, backed yeah. it in. Yeah. So, we, you bad. know, we, we definitely got put through the ringers there. Um, fortunately, we, we showed that we were able to compete with backup cars off the truck just as well. But it's certainly not something that you want to get used to. Now, I will say it makes your team stronger. Yeah. We, we have definitely iterated our, our processes from the time he, he has a problem and we deem we got to get a backup car out. The things you got to do to be more efficient in that in that time space. The one thing I can say we've done is 11 car has gotten a lot better about how to navigate that. So if there's any positives to be taken from it's that. All right. Well, let's hope you get obviously through a Thursday yeah. all clean and everything. Let's move to Friday. Fridays have been interesting for the 11 team. So, uh, so <laughs> <a> David question. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, in 2016, you, you did not win the dual race and the dual race happened at night under cool temperatures. However, you turned the fastest lap of final practice when the temperature was warmer and then Joe Gibbs racing dominated the Daytona 500, which you won when the temperature was equally warm. And then last year, something similar happened. You didn't win the dual race, cool duel. Had a warm final practice day, led by JGR cars. It was actually Kyle that was the fastest. But then you won the Daytona 500, and Joe Gibbs Racing finished one, two, and three. So what happened on those Fridays? What did you learn that nobody else did? Um, I mean, just trying to think about how we executed or played um, that practice. Um, I, I think that... You know, we were probably in line formation uh, more than likely. And, you know, I think that that's kind of a gauge. We kind of gauge, you know, how we are in the pack versus when the Fords get together and the Chevys get together and whatnot. And some of that is, is very circumstantial to how many cars get in one line. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much racing goes on on that Friday. I, I can't remember whether it was in a racing type uh, of atmosphere. Uh, but certainly, I mean, when handling becomes an issue, I think universally, no matter what the racetrack, that's typically where we excel. I mean, it's just, there's something about, you know, our program or, or how our cars are built that it just seems like, you know, handling is, is a big deal. I know in 2016, our cars were very, very, very fast. We knew that right away when we lined up the, the four of us, three or four of us in a line and we ran um, quite a f faster than the pack of 20 that was out there racing. I mean, we were just hauling at that point. That's when, you know, 
we got the troops together and said, um, by the way, if we just stay in line and on the bottom, no one's going to pass us. It's they're not going to be able to do it. They're not, they're just, they can't go the longer way around and be get up there. And they just never did. And we, we dominated 2016. Um, I, I don't think we've seen speed like that from us as an organization since then. Um, but you know, we've obviously had the results because we, we, we played the race right. Thinking about those Fridays and you know, how important they are, because of when the duels are at night, I mean, is Friday the most important day of the week other than Sunday, of course? Yeah. Um, again, I, I hate to keep making too much out of it, but it's a little bit of an unknown right now because the rules package being different. This is the first mm. first 500 uh, or speed weeks, I should say, that that I can recall in a long time where the rules is so different. And while we do have a few reps uh, at Speedways with this kind of package, it's still a bit of an unknown. So. The hope is by the time Friday and Saturday gets here, it's one final systems check. You've changed your valve springs, you change your parts and pieces, the thing's ready to go for 500 miles, and you're just testing your nut and bolt package, so to speak, to make sure you don't have any troubles uh, and there's not much going on. That's the hope. The The reality is this package, uh, I think Denny would agree to, is, is as much or more handling oriented than anything we've had at the Speedways in a long time. Um, it's difficult to get your car driving well. And Daytona is very much a handling racetrack. So that's TBD. I think you'll see a lot of guys Friday and Saturday still having to work on how their car is driving. So he's just making the case for me because we have our team meeting uh, tomorrow. <laughs> this is this is how Speed Weeks always go. Joe's going to ask a plan. What do you guys feel like you need to do? I'm, of course, going to raise my hand. I need to draft. I need to draft. I need to draft. I need reps. That's how I get better. You can't ask me to just come in the game in the fourth quarter and think that I'm going to – lead you down the field if I don't have reps like I just I've always advocated for I want to be in the pack all the time I'd, I would run from the green flag to the checkered of every super speedway if I could but like he says if you wreck it 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 there's more negative than there is to to gain um so they they say if you want practice then run all the laps of the clash and and your duel <laughs> and you'll have all the practice you need for the 500 but I'm a reps guy. I always fight for it, but it's as an organization, like you said, you know, that the pushback from Joe and, and those guys that, you know, what, okay. Daytona is fantastic, but our road to a championship, you know, runs through all these other, we don't want to set the shop back uh, and hurt our, our rest of our program. Don't wreck during clash practice. <laughs> yeah. if, if we do that, I'm, I'm happy from there. I think uh, that'll be the biggest takeaway of this. Uh, yeah. This People will learn that how crazy, important right? that is. You yeah, the first time out on the track. It, but again, my job is to is to lay out the roadmap, not only for Daytona, but for Vegas and everything that follows. And and uh, while none of our Daytona cars are going to Vegas, as a company, to, to spend your resources appropriately, you only want to build so many Daytona cars. I don't have a shop full of them. You reckon clash practice, it puts you back for the rest of the week. But also tying in, it's the first time you're in the car in months and now no pressure yeah. though, right? Right. It's it's Denny Hamlin. He's <laughs> yeah. won a lot of these races. He'll be he'll be fine. I got <laughs> I got the guy I need to go in Daytona. I'm not worried about that. So let let's just move on to the race itself. Um and, and Chris, in your position, um yeah, look, I, I I've heard from people outside of the industry that say crew chiefs hate drafting tracks and they can't really impact this race. But the reality is, and from the sounds of it, you certainly can. How do you game plan for this race? And when 
is a plan specific to the race? When is that decided? Well, uh, like Denny getting, getting reps on the racetrack, um, you get more and more familiar with how these races are going to go. It's the same for the crew chiefs, um, speedway racing. You definitely need friends more than, more than other races. And as the races go by and years go by that the way of coming about getting those friends and organizing those meetings and developing a plan gets more and more refined. Um, the Toyota group has their way of doing it. The Ford group has their way. Chevy's clearly developing their way. So it's not something that we just um, do, you know, uh, second, you know, something after the fact it's, it's very uh, choreographed. Um, but the reality of that is, I can't hardly recall a speedway race, certainly with this package where past the halfway point, the plan is still able to be carried out the way you drew it up. There's just too much attrition. There's too many situations that, that uh, you can't account for. So I think really what, what you, the best you can do is lay out the fundamentals, um, what, what you value most and then rank order that accordingly. And then you got to let the race play out and, and lean on that fundamental um, layout from there uh, instinctually. Yeah. As a driver, are you listening to the plan or, I mean, you go with it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like plans. I mean, 2016, our plan worked really, really well, um, but it, it, we had to have fast cars for it to work. Uh, but I mean, I've seen, you know, since then, like he says, the other manufacturers have tried to um, duplicate that, that, the, the problem is the attrition. And the problem is too, is that um, you've got guys that are not going to make the playoffs unless they win at the super speedway. So you think that somebody uh, just name the person is going to be okay with just pushing Kevin Harvick to a victory at 500. That ain't going to be the case. Like there's, there's too many people with their own agenda to just sit there in, in a line and not make a move. So I believe that if I can hang around to the end, if I can get there to the end, I I will be I will use anyone and anyone is allowed to use me to to get to the front. Like it's I, I just think the whole teammate thing and the alliances and the manufacturing and all that stuff, it sounds really, really good. And it and everyone sticks to it for a certain amount of time. But then next thing you know you you dr- lose one car, you lose two cars and it's like who else is there out there? Now we're, we're short on numbers. Um, it just, it, it becomes everyone for themselves at the last part of the race. And, and you just gotta, you gotta adapt. You know, you're playing, you're playing rarely, like he says, ever comes all the way through. A lot of people still look at these races as something of a crapshoot, but I, there seems to be a reason why Denny Hamlin, Brad Kislowski, Kevin Harvard, they're always up in the front though. So, I mean, what is, what is under your control and why do some of these skills seem to, you know, why does the cream seem to rise to the top? What is under your control? Uh, my instincts. The only thing I always have done is just followed my instincts. When I felt like I was in a bad position, I got out of it. Like um, now I, I have been so, I, I can't believe, I mean, statistics and odds would say it's all going to catch up, but like, you know, being, <laughs> have, having, having a shot to win the past eight day Toronto 500s, like we've had tremendous success and I just, I, I don't know what it is. I've been very fortunate on some I've gotten through wrecks that I probably should have been in. I, some of those I pulled out of and it actually happened. And some of them I was just in front of the wrecks, but it's just 
Some of it's luck, but I, I believe that I followed my instincts and I, I can feel when the pack starts getting restless and guys start using less and less space. And if I know that I cannot go forward, I just get out. Like there's nothing I can do. I'm not going to just sit here in a three, three wide log jam where I know I can't force, I can't go anywhere. So um, I just feel like I, I use my instincts to put myself in the best position I can. So let's talk about those with questionable instincts. Um, since 2017, and this is prior to the advent of stage racing, the inclusion rate of cars running in the top 10 rose in multi-car crashes from 13% to 35% at Daytona. And in the top five, it was greater. It rose from 7% to 34%. Uh, just telling Alan the other day, the car running in sixths has been included in each of the last five large crashes at Daytona. So it appears that leaders are being targeted or are wrecking the field themselves. And this did not blocking. used to happen. There's more blocking now. And you don't block when you're running 15. Um, typically, you know, you're not trying to stop a line of cars. And so the spoilers have gotten bigger on the super speedways. So my feel is that the closure rate has gotten larger. Therefore, it's less time for us to react. Everyone has kind of seen that the leaders playing the lines back and forth, trying to block this line, this line ends up having a chain reaction that starts right around that three, four, five, six spots. So I think that that's what it is, is that everyone is thinks that they know how to block and they think that they have enough time to do it, but they just don't. You, sometimes you got to live to race another lap. I hate watching guys do late blocks at the halfway point. It's like, what? That It's no guarantee the guy's even going to clear you. Like, <laughs> just let him get beside you and you, you all figure it out. But uh, it, it drives me crazy. So how does how does this trend impact how you're just going to approach this race? You you know it's, the blocking has been bad. What do you do? Pay attention to the people that are up front. I mean, ultimately, I, I just – you know, there's more guys. Some guys are more uh, aggressive with it than others. Um, and so you got to just kind of take into account who's around you and, and, and know that, you know, you're not I can't make a bold move on someone that is known to make aggressive blocks, because if I try to catch him off guard, he's going to be I know he's going to be late, but it's just going to take me out. So I just make sure I make more of a conservative, give them a heads up that I'm going to end up getting beside them. Try not to catch someone off guard. Cause when you catch someone off guard that blocks a lot, it's they, they level. It's more likely going to cost the crash. How come more drivers don't have a similar awareness for that? Not many have been doing it for 15 years. So, but I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm like, Chris, I'm such a, I analyze so much and, and watch so much. I've learned. I mean, I wasn't, I haven't been good at super speedways my whole career. It's just been, you know, lately the last, you know, six to eight years, it has really been significantly better for us. And I think it's just from learning from all the mistakes I've made. I mean, I was one of those guys and still am one of those guys that makes mistakes at these types of racetracks that just uh, odds are, you know, the odds have been lately that we've, we've been on the good side of it. I think if I could add to it, the analytics side a little bit, there's there's perceived critical moments in any race. 
And prior to stage racing, the critical moment was the end of the race, right? That's when they handed out all the points and that's when the scorecard got divvied out and that kind of thing. Well, now there's three perceived critical points. And I say perceived because risk versus reward, typically at a speedway race, a stage finish is the risk is not worth the reward. But these guys are human and there's a checkered flag waving and most of them want to go get it, whether it's green, white checkered flag or black and white checkered flag. Well, those situations calls for those tense moments. And a lot of these guys, whereas guys like Denny, who've been there and done it long enough, can sense whether or not things are getting out yeah, I don't and think whether or not it's worth it. I don't even – have I even been in the top two or three of any stage of super speedways? I, I don't think so. Like I have not had very good super speedway stage success, but it's just because – I'm, I'm log like I talked about. I'm log jam. What am I going to get to seventh? Like, it's just not. Let well, me get. Let me get out of here. He's not willing to take the risk for the reward. Right? Yeah. Now his stats are better than he thinks they are. I spent a lot of time on it heading into Talladega because it was important to know. But they're not the best. He's right. Yeah. But end of the race, how he finishes, accumulative points throughout the entire race, he's right up there towards the very best. Yeah, and I think as a driver, too, if you want to hear it from a driver's perspective, the reason they're going for it for the stage is not only just because it's a checker flag. We don't want to feel like we're starting the year in the hole, like, and they give out points. And so, you know, nothing worse than, like, leaving Daytona and you're like, oh, I didn't score any stage points and I crashed. Like, oh, this is a total failure of a week. So people want to get that instant gratification of success before the real checker flag comes out, and it's just sometimes it's just not worth it. So you're probably better positioned than most other drivers, considering you drive for Joe Gibbs Racing and they're an industry leader. You're, are you fine just punting on stage points uh, in this year's Daytona 500? Uh, I you think got it's one all, last year. Huh? You got one last year. One what? Stage point. In the 500? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we, we had fueling issues through the middle, if you remember. So we were, yeah, we couldn't we were nowhere to be found. P- P10 middle. final stage. Oh. Yeah. Or second stage. Hey, we're making progress to the front. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, what would you ask me again? Or are you okay just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go? yeah, I think it's if I could listen, if I could stay first and through all of them, I would. And if I was in the top five, I would be like content with just like, let me just take the points that are given to me here. You know, maybe I go for it on the, on the last lap before the stage, but man, I've just seen so many wrecks. But I am, and I think I'm a little bit more, I think. You know, when I think about all the stage points that are going to get handed out between Daytona and the end of the regular season, I can control my destiny on, you know, 23 or 24 of those races more so than I can at the super speedways. And so why not, you know, if if, if the finish is really what I want, the, ta- the end of the Daytona 500 is what matters to me. Um, I don't care how many points I get or anything like that. If I can win that race that goes way further than me saying I won both stages, finished 10th, and I score as many points as the guy that won. Like, no one cares about that. I couldn't even tell you who won last year's stages. So, um, And I was in the race. So, <laughs> uh, But I just think that I'd rather really go for the stage points when I know I can control my own destiny, and, and, and I can't as much on the speedways. So, Denny, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your 2020 season. You're 39 years old, and that is the statistical peak for NASCAR drivers. Considering where you believe your ability is at right now, what were 
the developmental milestones for you, as in what techniques or pieces of intelligence helped most in forming your current driving repertoire? I mean, it changes. Every year it changes. I mean, there's more data out there to be had, uh, more stuff to be learned. I think it's when, you know, Chris did a great job last year coming in here and identifying weak spots that I needed to work on and to focus on um, some things that I didn't necessarily deem a problem. Uh, but when you put it all in perspective and you look at the numbers of, well, this total lost this amount of spots, it's like, well, that's a lot of spots and that's a lot of points that we gave up. And I, and I just have been going to work on it. I mean, there's been little things. I mean, you know, I learned stuff from 2007 was a, 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 a crucial year for learning. Uh, had I felt like one of the fastest cars every single week, and I think we won maybe a race or two. Um, just figuring out how to finish races. Uh, then 2010, we had all the wins. Didn't win the championship. Kind of learn how, you know, how to – handle that the the end of the season a little bit better um i mean there's just been you know 2011 was really really hard having the hangover bounce back in 12 um they all were critical the the 2013 when i got injured that one was was a big one for me you know kind of having to sit on a pit box and watch your car race for five races or so was was definitely difficult uh, but when we came back in 14 and made the final four um, with less than fast cars, I we did not, as an organization, that was probably one of the toughest years that I felt like I had uh, as far as, yeah, yeah, it was not a good year for JGR. And we found a way to get, get to the final four. Um, I started to see a new formula to, to success. And then it's just kind of morphed every single year and it's changed. You know, the cars have changed, the packages have changed. And so being able to adapt to that, I feel like I was always quick to adapt, especially when it went from like the the old car, the gen, generation, whatever, to the COT. Like I was quick to adapt to the new car. And so um, I don't mind changes because it. I feel like I'm, I'll put in enough work to get the edge on, on the next guy. Um, but, you know, obviously with the success we had last year, building on, you know, our, our results continue to get better and better as the year went on with me and him going back to these tracks because he started to get a database of what I needed. And when I went back, we were always faster and better. And I was thinking, well, everything I'm telling him, he's listening and he's fixing. So there's the trust starts bonding and things like that. So I think it's a perf 2020 is a very, very, it sets up as a very good year for us not only from the statistical standpoint, but I feel like from where we're starting this year, so much further ahead than what we were last year. We, we know what the numbers say statistically about the age 39 and that, that blows some people's minds, but do you feel it just as a, as a person? Are you, are you at your peak performance? Do you think right now? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel without a doubt as confident or more confident than ever um, in my career. Um, you know, they kind of got in, you know, I think Harvick, or somebody was getting into the old guys rule thing, you know, was that last year yeah, or two yeah. years ago? And I think there's just something too, you know, when, when the big wave of young guys came in this year, we have, 
you know, this is a very, very strong rookie class. And of course, everyone's in a little different equipment than, than what they were uh, last year. But it's just, it takes time to learn how to, to get results that you feel you're deserving of. It's not just going out there and running the fastest lap every single lap. Mm-hmm. There's just so much that goes into it, and it just takes experience to get it. And there ain't many 35-year-old rookies. So <laughs> it's taking that long and in, in, in seems like some of these guys' career to put it all together. Uh, last one, but we'll, Chris, I'll start with you. But, you know, Kevin Harvick's a year older. Martin Truex Jr. has a new crew chief. If regression occurs with those teams, um, that's leaving some wins on the table, or you would think that puts some wins on the table. What do you guys need to do to ensure you're the ones who take advantage of that? Well, he and I had to talk about that last week. And um, to be honest with you, I never focused on those guys one time in that conversation because it was very clear to me all we had to do is execute better ourselves. Um, something that, that I keep up with is a, I call it green races. I've, you guys probably heard, heard me talk about it before. I know he has. I define a green race as a race where I had no issues. So we didn't have any penalties that set us back and required us to play catch up. We didn't blow right front tires repeatedly through a race. We didn't knock right front t- fenders off of it and have to have the A team go over that kind of thing. And as good a year as we had, we played from behind a lot as an 11 car. Um, and nobody knows that better than he and I because we lived through it. Um, but if we can just have clean races, I know we're going to execute at a high, as high or higher level in terms of speed and, and our ability to work together than, than we did last year. So it's really just about minimizing mistakes and controlling our own destiny. If we do that, I, to be honest with you, I don't really care who's in the field. Do you agree? I mean, in terms of just with the competition, whether, you know, there may be some minuses, can you be the, mm-hmm. the ones who, who pick up on it? I mean, as long as I do my job to the best of my level at the highest level, um, like he says, I, I don't think that there's a car out there we can't beat every single week. Um, but it's just, it's competition. There's a lot of moving parts and things change, but you can't discredit, you know, some of the changes that have gone on in, in, in between, uh, the off season. But, you know, who would have thought that you, we go from a winless season to six wins. So there's always, you know, surprises that, that none of us are, are seeing, are going to see coming until, mid part of the year where you're like, wow, didn't, didn't expect this person to step up. Well, thank you guys. This has been, uh, as you know, you are, are, this is the first time we've been on the road with positive regression. So thank you guys <laughs> uh, so much. We appreciate you listening and uh, certainly appreciate your insight because it's going to be a, a hell of a two weeks down in Daytona. So thank you for being with us guys. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Well, David, uh, that was awesome, right? I mean, to have uh, our two first, uh, to be on site here at JGR, to have two guests of that caliber and that history at Daytona, uh, I think we, uh, we've we all learned a lot today. This is a learning experience uh, for me as well. I'm glad that we were able to convey to our listeners the complexities of this week. What is Denny Hamlin worrying about? What is Chris Gabehart worrying about? And who better to break down speed weeks? But they are also uh, two very thoughtful dudes. Uh, they think uh, think a lot of uh, what they do and their craft in general. And I had a lot of fun with you picking their brain today. And got to tell you, that that first Bush Clash practice is now going to be appointment television viewing. So, yeah, going to have to keep tabs on that. Um, just a great, memorable conversation. And 
I don't know. We might have to do uh, something like this uh, down the road with uh, some other driver and crew chief combos. I look forward to it. And as always, I challenge the listeners. Look, we were going to watch the first Bush Clash practice anyway, right? It's the first time they're on track in months. We're all excited for it. But as you're watching, we I think we'll all now watch and look for something different or with a different understanding. And that's what I'm glad we got out of today. Don't forget, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Luminary. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, we are available. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review. I, I promise you, that stuff really helps this podcast gain some visibility. Your help in spreading the word is appreciated. If you like us, tell a friend. They might like us too, because all we're trying to do is make a, a better and smarter race fan. That's what I get out of this uh, every single week, to be honest. So if you have any questions, we want to answer them on this podcast. Reach out on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, always busy you are. What are you working on? Well, in addition to uh, the the normal story load for The Athletic, um, this week is also a big week for motorsportsanalytics.com. Peer projections for the 2020 season are posted for all 39 NASCAR Cup Series drivers, as well as updated P-ROAs. And uh, something pretty cool, never done this before, but during the Bush Clash I will host a chat uh, for all comers. It will not be behind a paywall. If you want a second screen experience while watching the Bush Clash, stop by motorsportsanalytics.com or follow me on Twitter at David Smith MA. I will tweet the link out. Come forth uh, with your questions. I think we're, we're going to have a good uh, fun time. Good, good stuff. Looking forward to that. If you are listening to this on Thursday morning, you are a subscriber, so thank you so much. Uh, but make sure you watch Race Hub tonight on Thursday because the second part of my uh, interview with Tyler Reddick will be on Race Hub. Uh, the first part will be on my Twitter page if you missed it earlier in the week. But uh, good conversation with a young, hot upstart rookie who is now in a full-time series, uh, full cup series ride. Remember, Richard Childress called uh, him, uh, what, the ghost of Cale Yarbrough or someone in the, in the ilk of Cale Yarbrough. So it should be an exciting rookie season for Tyler Reddick. And we talked all about it. So make sure you watch Race Sub. And come on, we are back on track this weekend on Fox. So watch that Bush Clash practice. Watch qualifying. Watch the Bush Clash on uh, on the Fox family of networks, all your NASCAR coverage. And next week, by the time the next episode is on, we will have Media Day down at Daytona. So make sure you watch that. I'll be down in Daytona for that as well. Uh, but again, this is just a cool episode. The next step in this podcast and the next step in learning a lot. Uh, again, thank you to Chris Gabehart, Denny Hamlin, everyone over at JGR. David, you as well. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Stay positive, everybody. Enjoy Cars on the Track this weekend. Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. 
You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.